The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is Designing the Future with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to transform industries. And importantly, they will discuss how these technologies and strategies can shake up the status quo in your company's future and help your organization move in exciting new directions. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. If you want to run with the Game Changers, you are absolutely in the right place. I say it every time, five days a week, and I mean it because it's true. Let's see what the buzz is today. Well, we have an interesting quote from a young man. I assume he's young, but he sure has a heck of a resume. His name is Faisal Hoke, H-O-Q-U-E, and he's writing in FastCompany.com. In case you want to know who he is, a serial entrepreneur, thought leader, author, and the founder of Shadoka. And he is the author of books including Everything Connects, How to Transform and Lead in the Age of Creativity, Innovation, and Sustainability. I'm not pushing his book, but here's the quote that sets the stage for our topic today. An innovative culture is about cultivating a mindset to learn to see the world in new ways. Just think about that. We have some key words in there, innovative or innovation, culture, cultivating, mindset, new ways, and learning. A lot of information in there. So that's setting the stage, and let me tell you what we're specifically going to be talking about. The notion that culture can impact an organization's evolution and growth has been on the minds of business leaders for years. Now, if you're a a CEO, if you're anybody in the C-suite, a CIO, CFO, CMO, you might be thinking, well, we have a corporate culture, but we're not quite sure what it's doing for us. Yeah, everybody loves working here, but where are we going? Some leaders even consider culture the personality that shapes a company's ability to drive innovation. And the key today to survival is innovation. You have to be looking forward. The marketplace is dynamic. Competition is popping up from everywhere. So let's take this concept that's been around for a while, over a decade, and let's fast forward to today. I'm not going to say we anymore. I'm going to say you. I'm speaking to our audience around the world. You still need to define the type of culture that creates and expands the ideas, the brilliant ideas you already have in your company. And guess what? That's probably going to involve disrupting old business models. Might not be a little comfortable for some of you, for some of your longtime people, for some of your shareholders, stakeholders, but it's time. Innovation requires disruption. We're going to speak today with a very interesting panel. We have three experts from three different industries. They have different areas of focus, obviously. They're in different countries, and they're going to discuss the impact of culture on business and even on higher education. And if you listen to to many of our shows on this series and our other Game Changers series, we very often drill back to what are we teaching our young people? How are we preparing them for the real world of business, the world of commerce, the world of innovation, the world of designing the future? So this all ties together. Let me tell you who our three experts are on the panel, and then we'll speak to them in just a moment. 
first up in a moment, I'll be introducing you to Dan Sewald, S-E-E-W-A-L-D. He is a senior director and global team leader within Pfizer's Worldwide Innovation Group. He also leads core innovation that includes Pfizer's Dare to Try. We're going to talk about that innovation and experimentation program. Next to Dan around the table is Mark Leung, L-E-U-N-G, director of Rotman Design Works. That's the business design studio at the Rotman School of Management. And we'll be asking Mark what he does and what his organization is. And rounding out the panel is Matthias Langholz, L-A-N-G-H-O-L-Z. I'm spelling it so you can all look them up. You might want to follow them on LinkedIn. And Matthias is a senior strategic design consultant at SAP Design, focusing on what else? Interaction, design, and design thinking, all germane to our topic today. So welcome, gentlemen. And let's start off with Dan Seawald. I will chat with Dan and learned out that he has a background in radio broadcasting in the sports arena. Very exciting for us to share some background notes yesterday. And Dan, for his opening quote, has selected an African proverb, and I'm going to put proverb in quote marks because nobody's really sure where this came from, but it's a very... Very valuable set of words. So here we go. If you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. Dan Seawald, it's a pleasure to welcome you. How are you today? I'm great, Bonnie. Thanks for having me. Thank you for joining us. Talk to me about the proverb. What does this all mean? We're talking about innovation, culture, personality, corporation, looking forward, the future, designing, all those good things. Put it together for me through the eyes of the quote, please, Dan. I, I personally really relate with this quote, um, whether it's of African origin or it's just something that we've all co-opted because we relate to this idea. It's this notion inside organizations that if you go fast, and what's meant by that, and you can use that metaphor in a lot of different ways, it could be being mm-hmm. the smartest guy in the room. It could be being an expert. Going fast is often what's lauded and looked for within organizations. But if you think about really creating change in culture, I I see culture with regards to innovation is all about creating change that everybody can connect to. So that means that the smartest guy in the room, the smartest woman in the room, is not who you should be necessarily preaching to. You should be looking to how do you raise up all people in the organization. Now, that's not to say that this is a, you know, a perfectly democratic, egalitarian state of, of, corpor- of corporations. It's saying that we need to be able to find the many different change agents, the mavens in the organization, that are going to make sure that all across an organization like Pfizer, which is 100,000 people, that mm. you can create change across all the different businesses in different markets, not just preaching to the individual um, you know, superstars in the organization. Interesting. Dan, I want you to define the word maven. I don't know if everybody around the world knows that. I'm in New York. I know you're, you may be in New Jersey right now. We understand that word. What is, what is a maven? I'm not picking on you, but I thought it'd be interesting because it's a little colloquial. Maven, how do you define that? The mavens in the organization, you said. So I define the maven as these people who are sort of kind of hyper-connected. They're super-connected within the organization. They are the ones who really are are experts and knowledge stewards. They stand out in in unique ways in the organization. And they are often, um, they're rare. There's not, you know hundreds of or even tens of thousands of, of mavens within those organizations. And mavens are very important, but it's also about really kind of cultivating kind of the, the everyday innovator in your organization. And at the end of the day, I, 
I come back to this notion that that culture is about change, and for change to really matter, it has to start at a grassroots level. Um, you need permission from leadership, but you also need to have grassroots buy-in and engagement. So if you go really fast and try to roll out a program and go after the superstars or the mavens in the organization, it'll last for a little while. It'll flicker for just about the amount of time that everybody's excited about it, but then it will go out just as quickly if you're not getting the grassroots. So if you really want to go far, you need to bring people together. You need to go after the many people in the organizations who may not fancy themselves as innovative thinkers or innovative leaders. Because the truth is, at the end of the day, everybody has nascent ability to be an innovator. It may be on a spectrum, maybe on like a, a normal curve that you might look at and say there's some who are hyper-creative and there those who are maybe a little bit less so. But everybody has that potential, so you have to meet them where they are as opposed to going after those individuals that you think are going to have the next big disruption. Thank you, Dan. Very insightful. I'm thinking uh, nature versus nature. Let's hold that question off because we talked in my opening quote about cultivating and you talk about grassroots and who are those nascent people. And let's talk about culture in innovation mode in organizations in a little bit. Let me introduce the other guests. and Just let's keep that in mind. Thank you, Dan. Great start to our conversation. And again, welcome. And now let's turn to Mark Leung. And I'm trying my best to pronounce that correctly, Mark, at Rodman Design works and this is a beautiful quote you've selected from the opening of Anna Karenina which is Leo Tolstoy's novel anybody is trying to figure out who Tolstoy was if you're very very young and didn't study a lot of world literature Count Lev Nikolaevich Tolstoy 1828 to 1910 usually referred to in English as Leo Tolstoy was a Russian writer regarded as one of the greatest authors of all time he was born into an aristocratic Russian family he's best known for the novel War and Peace 1869 and the one we're talking about today for a moment here Anna Karenina often cited as pinnacles of realist fiction very very interesting and now let me read the quote this is such a beautiful quote Mark it, it's, it should be on the wall of every psychologist psychotherapist in the United States maybe around the world here's the quote happy families happy families are all alike every unhappy family is unhappy in its own way Mark Mark, I can't help smiling do you agree with me this should be on every therapist wall I think so I think so Uh, yeah (laughs) thank you Mark welcome and uh, please tell us how you picked this quote we're talking about cultivating innovation in companies small medium large and now we're talking about happy and unhappy families you have to dissect this for me please yeah, so what really drew me to this quote was, it was for me, it was very paradoxical. Uh, the notion that uh, happy families are all alike, and in reality is, uh, there aren't any, um, or at least if they are extremely happy, not happy forever, right? It's a, it's a, it's a continuous pursuit. It's something that you need to develop and, and nurture. And so even if you are happy now, there's probably someone who's going to move in next door who seems like a happier couple. Or, you know, it's the idea of keeping up with the Joneses all the time. Or even Thanksgiving, right? I'm not going to be happy for very much longer if my uncle or crazy sisters are coming over. <laughs> and so this notion that, you know, uh, at, at some point in time, we all have our dysfunctional moments. And, and for me, that's very human. And, and it's, all, it's all relative. Uh, what's, what works, um, let's say, let's, you think of like what works at Google or Facebook. We, we hold them to, to such uh, high adulation around being in, innovative. If you go inside, they have their share of problems as well. 
yeah. um, in my space in, in education, uh, especially around innovation education, um, many of us look to the D school and, and as kind of the, the pinnacle. But, you know, hanging out with those guys, they're working on their issues as well. And so the, the key takeaway for me was that everyone, every culture, every organization is different. Uh, there is no one ideal solution or one ideal culture. There's no one right way to do it. And so what we need to do is, similar to what Dan was saying, was you need to find your own way. You need to go to those people and see what works for them. And so this is just in a way to say that everyone can do this. Um, it's just make, make it work for you. And I thought that was quite nice. It, it is a lovely quote. I'm, I'm going to, when I see my therapist on Monday, I think I'll print this out and bring it to us. It is a great business getter. No, there were no co- cookie cutters for the unhappiness, yet everybody figures out a way to say, eh, my life isn't exactly what I thought it would be. Maybe it could be better. I, I love the quote. Thank you so much, Mark. And we'll circle around after I speak with Matthias about his quote. We'll have everybody describe a little bit about what your organization does exactly or what your role is, because I, I really would like our listeners to get to know all of you a little bit better. So, Matthias Langholz, uh, Senior Strategic Design Consultant at SAP Design, has picked a very famous quote from Mahatma Gandhi. Anybody scratching your head? Mohandas Karamchand Gandhi, 1869. So, he was a compatriot a little bit younger than Tolstoy, actually. Same century. Uh, Gandhi passed away in 1948, a leader of the Indian independence movement against British rule. And he was actually the source of a quote on the final challenge round of Jeopardy on US TV uh, last night's Jeopardy I think that was the final quote and it was very interesting the way they posed the answer to the, and then the, the panelists had to give the question uh, Gandhi is a Sanskrit word for venerable or high-souled in India, that's S-O-U-L-E-D. In India, he's also called Bapu, which in Gujarati is endearment for father or papa. And Gandhiji, he's also unofficially called the father of the nation in India. Here is the quote. It's going to be familiar to so many of you in our listening audience. Be the change that you wish to see in the world. Matthias, welcome to Game Changers. How are you today? I'm good, Bonnie. Thanks. Thank you for joining us. Tell me about this quote. How does it relate to our topic on innovation culture? So uh, what, what I actually really like about this quote and how it relates, um, I mean, often when I talk to people about innovation culture and uh, they, they ask me, Matthias, but how can we start this innovation culture in our organization? What, is, what are the first steps? And um, actually my answer usually is... Um, something else than they expect. So um, let, me, let me first tell you what they usually expect. So they expect some sophisticated strategies or some method, methods, some uh, roadmaps, whatever. But actually for me, um, and I, I really believe in that, the first step is really to change, to start with a change with, by yourself. Because if you want to be the one who drives the change in your organization, you must be a role model and you must be the one who, who really, um, where people can feel that, that uh, the change works. People look up at you and they see, okay, this guy, he has really changed. So um, that makes sense. I can change as well. And I think this is, this is really important. It sounds easy, though. I mean, it is easy to at least say, okay, I want to change. It's not not always easy to do that as well, to to know how to change, to know um, where, where which first steps you want to take. It can also be challenging, but I think that is actually the core success 
to start a cultural change to start by yourself. Interesting. Matthias, does this come from the top down, from leadership? Do you have a memo that gets passed around or a group email or, or the memo says everybody meet in the assembly room or the coffee room or however big your company is? Okay, today is the day we each start to change. Today is the day you're going to decide how you want the world to change inside this company and how we're positioned in the world and you're each going to be a change agent. Is it that simple, Matthias? No, it's not by, by sending out a memo, definitely not. Um, I think you must prove that. But with, and I mean, you knew probably the answer when asking that. Yeah, of course, it's, I was well, being I mean, facetious. You know what facetious is. <laughs> uh, no, I don't, but uh, <laughs> whatever. I mean, of course, you have to show that by, by your behavior and um, that yes. people will follow you. And actually, a good way is to, to uh, learn how, uh, on, on which aspects you might change is to listen to others and to ask them for feedback because uh, um, it's better to um, also, also consider an outside-in perspective instead of just uh, looking in the mirror and thinking how you can, how you can change. Okay, thank you very much, Matthias. I was teasing you, and you knew that. I, I, sometimes it doesn't come across that way, but I was teasing. Because I, I imagine in some companies that are not very sophisticated, they might do that. They might say, everybody come to the assembly room or come to the auditorium or let's go outside under the trees and we're going to talk about everybody becoming an agent of change. Very interesting. And thank you. That's why we ask for these inspirational opening quotes because they spark a good conversation, IMHO. Let's circle around to Dan. Dan Seawall, let's find out exactly where you are, not exactly the address or the coordinates of the roof of where you are right now, but where are you? What's in your cup today? That's a question I ask on all of our Game Changer shows just so we get to know you a little and tell us a little bit about what you do at Pfizer and and how culture what it means to you there so in any order Dan Seawall go ahead well I, I can uh, you know pass up the opportunity to talk about what's going to be in my cup um, I am a mm-hmm. big fan of a of a British gin called Tim's um, many people might know it I found in the United States it's not the most popular spirit it is a wonderful um, drink that, that really has a rich history behind it. It's a floral gin, and, uh, and I like to mix that with things like cucumber that's muddled in mint in the summertime. And I, I like it specifically because it is so unique in the United States. And I think that, you know, to draw a parallel between the drink and what I do, my job here at Pfizer is some of you might know, it's a large company. I alluded to it before. It's about 100,000 people, and we're a pharmaceutical company. And as many large companies go, the bigger you get, the more entrenched your processes must become. And the more entrenched your processes become, the more you inherently develop expertise and you hire in experts. And that's great because we need to rely on experts. But we also have a a challenge that comes out of having so many experts. Everybody's right, and everybody knows precisely what they're doing. And that's where kind of my job comes in and my team. We're a global team, and we're challenged with doing a variety of things, including changing the culture of an organization, which has been ongoing for, for several years, and trying to shift us to more of a learner culture from a knower culture. And... That's a big part of, uh, of having a really rich innovation culture, knowing that as you rise in the organization, that you don't want to become a monolith or being set 
specifically in your ways. That you need mm-hmm. to constantly be agile, learn, and innovation is all about seeing what everybody else is seeing, but thinking what nobody has thought before to connect a little bit back with your opening quote. So we try to bring that inspiration to shift mindsets, win hearts and minds, but then we also teach, train, consult across the organization. And we do this not through one ivory tower group in New York City, which is where I'm actually physically based, um, Mm -hmm. but we do this by developing a network of people, hundreds of people, who do it as a, a bit of an avocation or a hobby, if you will, all around the world. And I guess you could say we in, indoctrinate them, but they're willing and eager to be a part of this because they want to spread the change. They want to be that change that they want to see within Pfizer. So that, that's, a, I guess, a quick redux of what I do. Um, I guess sometimes I think of myself as kind of chief inspirer in the organization, but the truth mm-hmm. of the matter is, you can't inspire people unless they want to be inspired. And people in large companies, they want to do things differently. And they're more than capable of doing it. You just have to have the right means and ways to do it inside the organization. That was, I was trying to grab bits and pieces of quotable material in there, Dan. It was just coming right out of you. I, I did capture the following. Tell me if this is accurate. See what everyone is seeing, but think what no one has thought before. Did I get that one right? That's right. That is a oh my. That might be a Dan Sewell quote. That's I don't well, know the it's, origin it, of the. Of it's quote. going to become a famous quote from you on Twitter in about ten seconds here. So going back to the question I didn't ask before, the question yeah. is, and I hope you're enjoying the beautiful weather, nature or nurture. Do you put on a job description, on a resume, on a job posting, on whatever Indeed or on Glassdoor? We're looking for people who want to be agents of change, who have an innovative mindset, who come into the company to do job X Y Z. But within six months, we're to ask them to think outside the box. And come to the table and be not afraid to fail fast and fail often. And we have an open culture where everybody's thinking forward and fast. And we want you to be part of that exciting environment. If every company said that, what would you end up with, Dan? Well, then you'd end up with groupthink. You'd end up being stuck in the same rivers of thinking. Actually, (laughs) I think you bring up a really interesting point in that we are kind of in a little bit of an innovation bubble today. If you go around and you look at companies' 10K filings, that's their annual report filings, if you look at press releases from a lot of large companies, the word innovation has become so overused and so hackneyed that when people look at this word innovation, it almost means nothing now. And all the quotes <clears throat> all the quotes and the expressions used I thought were great because I'm like, oh, that comes kind of a little bit out of the, you know, the corporate propaganda that you'll see thrown out left, right, and center. The challenge is if you use a job description um, explicitly, it, it's not going to necessarily get you what you're looking for because everybody wants to and thinks they're like that. Um, you have yes. to use the right profiling mechanism to find those people that really have those innate characteristics. They're not hanging you know, on the low branches of the trees. If they were, everybody would have a whole raft of innovators in their organization. The truth is, we want everybody to be amenable to it, to be, to be open to the idea of thinking and doing things differently. The great innovators are rare. They are rare, and that, that's, you know, a reality. But we can make people better, recognize it, more amenable to it. And I think that's what shifts your culture and allows you to allow people to move together quicker and farther than they would have otherwise if you just relied on the superstars. 
And there is the quote. If you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. Beautifully tied together, Mr. Seawald. And you have been quoted on Twitter. So I hope that brings you lots of fame fame and glory and a lot of PIMS, a lot of bottles of toastable PIMS. I appreciate that. Now let's turn to Mark Leung and Mark at Rotman Design Works. Mark, I'm going to ask you, where are you calling from and what do you do? What is Rotman Design Works? And most important to our conversation, what do you love to drink in any order? Mark, please. <laughs> uh, right now, I'd love a bit of uh, Dan's Pims right now. Sounds fast. Sounds amazing. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so I'm calling from Toronto, Ontario, Canada. I'm at the University of Toronto, and what is in my cup is uh, it's something called uh, Herba Mate. It's, um, it's a friend of mine introduced it. It's from, uh, from Latin America. Uh, it comes in a dried gourd. Imagine a large wine glass without a stem, and it's got a metal mm-hmm. straw in it. And so what's mm. unique about it is that instead of uh, just putting tea leaves and then steeping the tea and drinking it, uh, you pack the whole um, gourd full of leaves and you put little micro doses of boiling water in it. And then you sip it. And it, it, you, know, you can do this for a couple hours. Um, and it absolutely tastes terrible. <laughs> it's really bitter, really earthy. Um, but um, it's got great antioxidants and uh, it helps with focus. So uh, I was just following a, a podcast with Tim Ferriss, who wrote the Four Hour Work Week, and uh, he he abides by this. This is this is how he drives a, a lot of his great writing and how how he um, he's so productive. So I thought really. Was, by the way, yerba mate. If anybody wants it, one spelling is y e r b a m a t e. It's Portuguese. It's a species of the holly family with the botanical name I'm not going to pronounce. Named by the French botanist Auguste Francois César Provençal de Saint-Hilaire. That's a mouthful. Yerba mate is known as the source of the beverage called mate in both Spanish and Portuguese, also called many other names, blah, blah, blah. And uh, mate herb, it mate, is the quechua mate, means container for a drink. There you go. Also known as a gourd. There's a little background. Mark, continue. Tell us, what does Rotman School of Design do? What design studio? All right. That was fantastic, Bonnie. You're amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I'm yeah, fast. So, I don't know about um, amazing. I'm fast. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah. So um, Rotman Design Works is a design studio inside of uh, the Rotman School. Uh, I teach inside of the MBA program. And our, and our goal, our vision is to create innovation-ready or innovation-enabled business leaders. We realize that, uh, similar to Dan's point, we need to have our future leaders of tomorrow um, wired to this new way of thinking. Because obviously, what we've been teaching for the past 50 years uh, was a different time and place. And so we need them to think fast. We need to learn how to embrace prototyping, to iterate, um, to co-create. These are all necessary skills um, that we see uh, that are vital to the success uh, of organizations and to society. And the other part of what we do is we are trying to... um, not to say disrupt education, but bring a new way of teaching, right? Less of the sit in the classroom and listen to the sage on stage. Uh, we advocate a lot of uh, learn by doing, right? So taking our students, putting them out in, in the field, working on live innovation challenges, and coaching them through that experience. Because a lot of the stuff that uh, we do in innovation is not necessarily you can learn out of a book, right? There's no necessary core theory or formula for this. It's very craft-driven, and so um, a lot of what my role is less of being um, a professor, but more of a a therapist, a coach, a guide uh, to help them on their learning journey. 
Very interesting. And that might be another thing we have to put on the therapist wall is what you just said, Mark, in addition in addition to Matthias's or whoever quote about the happy family. It was your quote. Uh, very, very interesting. So let me ask you a similar question to what I asked for Dan asked Dan a few minutes ago. Nature or nurture, can you teach people you're doing it but what's the success rate i'm not asking for percentages or out of every hundred students how many actually take on the word innovation as their middle name when they graduate but uh, in terms of companies looking for people like this in terms of your program looking for students who are i'll use the word loosely malleable moldable flexible who have agile hearts and minds and ways of thinking how do you find those people can you build them can you take an average student from an average high school whatever that means, anywhere in the, in the United States or around the world, say, okay, we're going to put you into a design environment and we're going to teach you how to let go of all those tethers to standard ideas and book learning. We're going to put you out in the field and you're going to learn by doing. How doable is this, Mark? Um, yeah, so if I could codify that, I'd be a very rich man. Um, <laughs> it's, it is hard, right? Like we do assessment yeah. profiling and there is no, I have yet to see... Uh, a secret formula emerge. Um, you know, I've uh, I've been su- I've been surprised by students of all walks of life. So, uh, when I first did my MBA here, it was really just engineers and finance people. And and over time, it's really the the, the population and the demographics in the, the school are, are much more diverse now. So you get people from theater backgrounds, design, healthcare, nursing, art curation. And the only way to really see who can do this um, is just to throw them in. Like, just get them to try it, right? Throw them into a workshop, put them out into the field, and see what emerges. Um, a lot of this is latent. It's just kind of buried after, you know, years and years of uh, kind of top-down education. It's been beaten out of them. Um, yeah. I'd say everyone has it in them. I always talk about, I open my classes, talk about your inner five-year-old. We all had imaginary friends. We finger-painted. We were constantly asking why, why, why. Um, and and then we then I talk about how the school system has kind of beaten out that curiosity out of you, where I think was it Sir Ken Robinson said roughly around grade four, you realize that the teacher's looking for the one right answer, and you stop asking why. And so a lot of what I do is you know I give them permission, I give them their permission to to ask questions, to be curious. Uh, I take them out of the traditional space. Space does matter. Uh, we have more of a studio environment covered with whiteboards where I'll take my class out onto the street and, and put them in a different context to give them, uh, to force them to actually think differently. So I don't know if that answers your question, but it's really it a does. lot of uh, trial it, and error, it does. honestly, right? And those who, it, who have the tenacity and persistence to come back for more and more, those are the ones you know um, you want to pay attention to. Very interesting. You're bringing me back to a day. Uh, Matthias, I'll get to you in a second. Please be patient. This is such a, a rich conversation we're having, and I'm really enjoying it. I'm chatting with my engineer in the Skype chat here and saying, Kevin, th- th- these these three panelists are so rich with ideas and with passion for this, so I want to tell the three of you how much I appreciate you. But, Mark, I'm thinking back to my days of post-bachelors in psychology when I needed something to do to support my, my kids. I was a newly divorced young mom, and I, I actually went to take computer programming and I became a programmer analyst out in Oregon, in Eugene, Oregon. And it, it sounds like cut and dry, you know, where would the creativity be? Well, funny thing is that this was at a community college. I did my, I did my postgraduate work at a community college. And um, the people who landed in this class 
had dropped, I'm hearing a, a big echo in the back on somebody's line, uh, had come from architecture school, they dropped out, or they had started med school and not liked it, or they had started law school and not liked it. We were a collection of people who had started in different disciplines and decided we wanted to be programmers. And what we brought to the table were so many interesting backgrounds and personalities, but we also brought a creative approach to programming. And it dawned on me, Mark, that when we were coding in PL1 or Assembler or Fortran, or I ended up in COBOL for many years, we each brought our personality of creativity, how do you decide, how do you decide how to create that structure of that program, even within top-down? How do you decide what, what, how to build the solution to the problem? And everybody brought their, is that something that, that you would see as possibility where you could think of programming and coding as a creative approach to, I don't know, making the world a better place through, through programming? What do you think, Mark? Am I stretching too far here? No, absolutely. Programming is a very powerful tool, right? It enables people to translate thought into action very quickly. Um, I, you know, I, I totally agree with those people who say that. Every, um, everyone should at least understand how to code, right? It should be a, a fundamental skill, right? Because you can do so much with a few keystrokes. Yes. And, yes. Uh, and the other point you, you highlight as well is diversity, right? So bringing people yeah. from all walks and backgrounds. Yes. A lot of my students come in and they say, listen, I, don't, I didn't like my last job. I hated my undergrad. I want to be an MBA or I want to be a design thinker. I said, that's great. I can help you with that. But don't forget where you came from. Like, you are unique. Bring those skills and those experiences yeah. to the table, right? You will be a programmer plus anthropologist, a programmer plus an ec- economist. Yes. And that's what makes you unique. So I, I really emphasize, you know, bring your whole self, Right. Don't bring just a kind of the professional side. Bring all of you to the yes. table when it comes to this kind of work, because that's where the diversity, you know, sparks new new questions and, and new and new avenues and new problems to solve. Thank you very much, Mark. Thanks for indulging my sidebar. I appreciate that. And you picked up on that word diversity, and I think that's what I was trying to say, is you never know who's going to end up in that class or in that profession bringing so many points of view and so many ways of looking at the world. Thank you. People think you got to have a big, heavy background in math to be a programmer, and you know you have blinders on, blindsiders on, and, and you never think creatively. That's just not true. Here I am as a radio producer 30 years later. What can I say? Who knew who prepared me for this. Let's turn to our third panelist waiting so patiently, Matthias Langholz at SAP. And Matthias, let's find out what are you drinking? Where are you today? I know you're not here in New York with us or in New Jersey. Uh, and, and what do you do in the world of strategic design consultancy at SAP? Matthias, tell us a little bit about yourself. Yes, what, are, what are, do I drink at the moment? I have yes. a delicious uh, Belgian beer in front of me. And uh, you hear it right, it's from Belgium, not from Germany, because of one reason. In Germany, we have uh, the purity law, which restricts how you brew beer. And that leads, uh, to my mind, to, ver- to very boring, similar beers. Um, in contrast to in Belgium, <laughs> um, you have like, uh, you can do basically everything with beer. You can put fruit in it, you can put whatever you want into beer. And um, I mean, this, this for me, it's also the connection to this innovation culture topic that this freedom also leads to more innovation when it comes to beer. But not to overstretch this topic now, and um, not that I don't drink too much beer now, I have a few words on myself. Um, I'm mm-hmm. working, working at SAP, um, at SAP Design, and um, 
for several years, uh, I helped uh, customers uh, to, to solve their problems with design, with design thinking methodology. And one a major part of that is also to, to involve them. So to, to work together with them, to not like just create a solution, but really to um, integrate them in that process in, in working on those solutions. And um, at some point, um, we, we realized here in, in our team here in Heidelberg, um, and uh, also in, in our, 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 uh, our other teams globally that um, our customers got curious about, um, hey, how you work, this could be also something for us. So why can't you help us to uh, work the same way as you approach problems, as you um, use design thinking to solve problems? How can, why can't you teach us or why can't you help us to, to um, work in the same way? And that led, that led me um, and my colleagues to really um, nice engagements where we helped customers to, to start uh, changing their culture because it, that's really nece necessary. It's not only about applying some methods, but it's really about um, uh, really uh, train the right people to um, take up the right mindset. It's about um, setting up the right environment, the right space that people can also uh, work, can also live their culture in the right way. And it's also about... Um, really um, taking up a, a good process which, which helps them to, to, to innovate as well. And as it has been mentioned before, um, I think it was um, uh, uh, Dan stressing that, um, that, no, no, it was Mark actually, that um, it's a very individual way um, for every company. Um, and uh, this, this, uh, this is what I'm so excited about, to, to learn more and more companies and see how, how they um, take this innovation culture topic and how they uh, make it a reality in their um, organizations. Very interesting. And, and Matthias, do you ever come across companies, I'll call them co companies rather than customers for our discussion here, do you ever come across companies that, that basically say, nah, we're doing fine, everybody loves our widgets or our push carts or whatever, or whatever we're manufacturing or whatever solutions we're selling. We're fine, we're market dominant, everybody knows us, we have a solid brand and yeah, we'll tweak a little piece of this thing on the end in the next year and we'll offer people instead of like Henry Ford, they can have any car they want as long as it's black, if you remember that famous anecdotal quote mm -hmm. of his, maybe it was true. Uh, do, do you ever have companies that just say, we're really not interested in innovation. Yeah, we're looking at digitizing our supply chain. That's cool. And we'll do some social investments, and that'll make us ha happy with our stakeholders and our millennial workers. But as far as innovation, yeah, we'll offer them a green one next year. Do you ever come across that today? Serious reality check here, Matthias? I mean, usually all companies are interested in innovation, and all companies also uh, want to become innovative or want to foster innovation. Because that is that is the way how, how they they uh, want to change for the future. But what I what I actually sometimes um, experience uh, in companies is that the way they think they can approach innovation is a different one. And they they might think, okay, we we hire some experts. We um, they they know about the right technology, and that is enough to to um, become an innovative company or to be prepared for the future. And that is what I don't believe in. So I, I think it's really about the people um, who come up with ideas. It's about um, like um, uh, establishing a culture and unleashing with the potential of the people. That is, in my opinion, the true value and the true uh, the core success factor for um, innovation. 
Thank you very much. Gentlemen, you have to forgive me. We usually take a break at around 25 after. It's now 41 after. This is such a good conversation. So forgive me for enjoying this too much that we forgot to take the break. So it's too late for a break. Here's what I'd like to do in the, let's see, we've got about, oh, about 11 minutes left before we go to our predictions round. So, and I, I, what I'm trying to say to the three of you is I'm complimenting you for sharing so many good ideas in this part of the show that's now the whole show. Okay, Bonnie, be quiet. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to pick one topic from each of you from your uh, roundtable statements you sent me before the show. Instead of going around the table, I'm just going to ask each of you to talk about it for two and a half minutes or so, and let's see how much extra territory we can cover before we go to predictions in about 11 or 12 minutes. So if that's okay with the three of you, uh, Dan Seawald, I'm looking at this particular comment here, and I want to introduce the idea of storytelling. You say, there's a great Navajo quote, tell me a fact and I will remember. Tell me a truth and I will believe, but tell me a story and it will live in my heart forever. So Dan, you say story making and storytelling are central to the formation of ideas and cultures. Please expand this for us so our listeners know what you're talking about. I So I, I'd like to go beyond just kind of the corporate innovation mindset for a moment when we think about storytelling. So every culture has some element of storytelling and you can see it um, in the way people transmit their, their values and their beliefs. And in organizations, it happens as well, but maybe not with the, with the perhaps the centralized structure or the, the purpose and intent that, that, that could be put behind it. What I found is looking at dozens of other organizations I think are really successful at building an innovation culture is that they are masterful storytellers. And, and I don't mean that they're masters of spin, or in other words, of taking a you know a you know a trite event or story and making it sort of part of their their corporate mission. What I mean is that they really do find the stories, the things that are memorable, and they find a way to socialize it and to tell it so that it becomes the leaders and other people in the organization's own story. They co-opt it into the very fabric or DNA, if you will, of the organization. So that I believe is a lot harder to do than it is said. Um, there's lots of mediums. We're always competing with all the different channels of communication that are out there. Inside organizations, you've got you know emails, you have instant messaging, you've got newsletters. Of course, you've got you know in-person interactions where people share in department meetings and social and so on. It goes on and on. Um, so it's, it's actually, there is a glut of, of channels of communicating. What really is hard is getting people's attention. And great stories, they thrive no matter what the time and what the communication channel. If you think about the story of Cinderella, which probably just about everybody knows who's listening to this chat, every culture has a variation of Cinderella. And the reason Mm -hmm. it thrives is because the power of the story structure. It's the same thing for innovation. If you want to be able to change your culture, you need to be able to tell the stories and tell it in a way that people connect with it, they identify, they find ways to socialize it so it becomes part of the corporate mythology. It becomes part of their DNA. And I believe that if you want to create change, that you have to make it something which is believable, it's relatable, and it's also got staying power. So great storytelling, I believe, is a big part of how to keep innovation on the forefront of people's minds. 
Thank you. Very well put. And uh, storytelling is such an important part of so many pieces of the corporate culture. We actually did a show on storytelling as part of the sales technique today, uh, especially in social selling, getting people to hear you and share an experience and relate to you and trust you and believe you and all those good things. Thank you very much. Mark, I'm looking at your notes here. Something fascinating to me. You say, stop the innovation theater, a term coined by Steve Blank, describing the lack of output from many innovation initiatives, including, here we go, boot camps, hackathons, retreats, innovation outposts are essentially glorified and expensive suggestion boxes. Wow, are you tilting at windmills? Are you knocking at an establishment? <laughs> Hackathon is an establishment tool here, Mark. How dare you? Of course, I'm teasing you. Go ahead, Mark. Talk, tell me more. Yeah, so being Canadian, I'm going to apologize for being a little snippy about it. Um, <laughs> That's okay. But uh, Yeah, so I, I think, you know, quite often we get calls of saying, hey, listen, Mark, we're trying to be the apple of fill in whatever industry you're in. And we've kind of gone out and scanned the world and, and, and talked to and visited all these great innovative companies. Um, we've watched all these TED Talks. We you know, uh, watched the IDEO shopping cart video and such. And so we know what we need. We need foosball tables, beanbag chairs, whiteboards, and, and uh, do these things called hackathons. And so I usually follow up and say, well, listen, well, how many of these ideas... Um, where are they? How many of them actually made it to marketplace? And it's usually left with a fairly, you know, a, a long blank, right? It's silence, right? Mm-hmm. And so I think what, what's happening is that they're, they're kind of like, they're studying these companies and looking at innovation at a very superficial level, right? We just need a cool space and post-it notes and, you know, snappy dressing people. And they don't actually see the, the rigor and the discipline behind the scenes, Right. So the, the iteration, the long nights, the, the critique sessions, the constant you know, mm-hmm. prototyping, the multiple failures. And so they're not prepared to say, oh, wow, I didn't, you know, I, I didn't realize it was more than that. Right? There's an actual strong discipline behind this. And part of that is you know, a little bit of the, the lack of education out there um, of really saying, if you're going to innovate, here's what this entails. It's not going to be a cakewalk. It's going to be a long slog. There's going to be a lot of failure. You're going to have a, have a lot of resilience and a lot of courage to push through this. Um, it's not something you can buy off the shelf, right? And so I think, I think how do we actually think about building processes around these hackathons or these sprints and these incubators? I don't think people are thinking much about, like, how do we get past the idea and get to execution? And part of that requires uh, it's a leadership challenge. And it's also a business transformation challenge that how do we start reconfiguring our organization, our processes, our resources, our policies to actually help steward some of these great ideas through uh, to execution. So I think we're just really kind of, many companies are just kind of touching the tip of the iceberg. I think there's a lot more that that needs Mm -hmm. to be done beneath the surface. Fascinating. Thank you very much. It turns out I was already following Steve Blank, and he goes by SGBLANK, his handle on Twitter, and he's got a lot of followers, I think over 200,000. Thank you very much, Mark. And Matthias, I found something interesting. You brought up a few minutes ago, and we just have about three minutes for you to expand it, but you say space matters. If the inhabitants of an office, and you put the word inhabitants in quotes very appropriately, I will add, if the inhabitants are involved in designing their space, they will 
I'll identify strongly with it and enforce a sense of team spirit. Matthias, talk to us. How does this work in the real environment? A, a, a building, uh, an office space is rented or leased or built, and you get people in on the first day of work or after six months of building a team. I'm talking about startup and or, or an existing company. They, oh, we're moving to, you know, 555 Park Avenue. I think I worked there once, actually. And we have this space. H- how does it work in terms of getting people to express their creativity and agility in a space? In a space. Talk to me, Matthias. How does the process work? I mean, space. Um, for me, space is really, uh, really, really important. And um, you can you can look at it at this element on from different layers. So, I mean, pragmatically, somehow a space needs to be designed that people can collaborate together in a way. So it needs to they, they need to be able to visualize their ideas, to share their ideas. They need to be able to. Um, like uh, change the room, adapt it, um, dependent on what they want to do in it. So it needs to be flexible. But um, I think this is not enough to to support innovation in in the way um, how it is needed. So there is more. And um, this more um, is what I meant with um, that inhabitants. And I think I think it's, it's it's quite a good word for that. Inhabitants of an office, they really should should make it their personal environment, because. Um, uh, if they if they really think if they really feel comfortable in that environment, um, then uh, then you can really uh, like they can really reach or unleash their potential. And um, to give you give you an example of um, our office space um, here in Heidelberg, we, we live and we also say that actually we live here in the App House. Um, mm-hmm. We have uh, created our own furniture. So I mean, okay, we are designers. Maybe we are, we are more, more a bit uh, crazy about that, and also skilled to do that. But we have created our own furniture. We have uh, brought a lot of personal things here and and uh, designed our space in the way we like it, and um, that makes it much easier to to work and to feel comfortable here. And it's also like a lot, very much inspiring for us. And inspiration is as well, um, for me, a very important ingredient when you uh, have a space um, uh, which should support and which should foster innovation. Um, so uh, I think um, it's not, not done by or it won't work if you just like um, uh, let facility management do it because then, it, then you get an efficiently designed space. Um, if you let architects uh, only do it, then you get like a clean um, space um, uh, maybe functional, but not like personal. So you need to involve, and that, that's my, my really, um, I believe in that, you need to involve uh, the people and give them some freedom to, to design their space as well on their own. Very interesting. I, I like that. There's a sense of agility, a sense of freedom, and the sense of shared purpose and shared passion and getting to know each other. Fascinating. So many good ideas, gentlemen. I apologize we didn't get to a lot of what was in your notes, but actually we did with, within a very informal structure. I don't think in a, th- in a thousand shows, I think this might be the second or third time in almost six years that we haven't taken a break because it was such a lively conversation, and that's that's my gratitude expression to the three you. So now it's time for our prediction round. I hope you're feeling my gratitude. Dan Seawald, I'm going to give you 60 seconds. Let's look at the year 2020 or anything in that vicinity. What do you see in the pipeline and the crystal ball in terms of what will change if we met again to talk about innovation culture, designing your business personality? Dan, predictions, please. Yeah. Uh, my, my prediction is, and I think it's already afoot, so this is a, a safe bet, is that you're going to see movement away from 
the expert culture to dilettantry again. And what I mean by that is that there will be an increased reliance on people who have broad liberal education and knowledge. They are, you know, what's been referred to as T-shaped thinkers. So they have some depth of expertise, but they have a breadth of knowledge in other areas. And why I think that is going to more and more replace the, the deep expertise that many companies and organizations have desperately sought in the, the labor market is because the best ideas are often remixes from various spaces, industries, and domains. And because of that, the more wide and eclectic our knowledge, yet with some depth of expertise as well, lends to really coming out with the next big remix, the next big idea. Having all people who, who come from one specific space or domain of knowledge is, is great if you want a world of, of, of monolithic thinkers and experts. Um, that, that was probably really great in the, the information or knowledge economy. Now that we're kind of moving away, we're kind of moving to the next level, I believe that you're going to see more organizations, more people actively looking for, recruiting, and trying to retain these eclectic thinkers. I call them the dilettante economy or dilettantry uh, out there. So that's my prediction. Thank you very much, Dan and Mark Leung. Let's have your prediction. I saved exactly 60 seconds for you. Mark, go. Um, I think that going after questions, so will this topic still be relevant? Uh, I think the idea ah. of change will absolutely be, uh, will be relevant. It's one of those universal challenges that we, we struggle with on a, on a daily basis. Um, and it takes time. So, you know, we had a chance to talk to some of our faculty, and they said, culture change takes 20 to 25 years. Um, the challenge is now we have less time now. And, and so I think that's still going to be a top of issue. How do you change quickly? Uh, the terminology, I'm, I'm curious about this idea of ambidexterity and adaptation, that maybe the innovation language may focus more around how do we shift and evolve as times change. It may be semantics. It may be a new field. Um, I don't know. I'm curious. Uh, will it morph into something else? Um, I'm paying, we're trying to pay a lot of attention to the whole uh, artificial intelligence, machine learning, big data kind of field here. Um, I'm curious to know whether there will be an innovation algorithm um, where maybe we'll just ask our digital overloads what the next innovative idea is and, and tell us what to execute. So I think there's a lot of interesting <laughs> things that are happening out there that maybe, yeah, it'll be a partial, it'll be a human, but also a, a digital technology where those two come closer together to drive innovation and change. Thank you very much. I'm learning so much from your insights. And Matthias Langholz, it's your turn. 60 seconds, that's all we have. Matthias, predict, please. Uh, yes. So I, I think, or I mean, I stressed it already on um, the importance of people when we talk about innovation culture and how, about how to unleash um, their potential and uh, how important the people-centric mindset is. Nowadays, we discuss that a lot, a lot when we look at in a, the topic of innovation and innovation culture. I believe, uh, when looking in the crystal ball, that um, this people-centric mindset will play more and more role as well in other cultures, in other fields. So even in um, uh, like more efficiency-centered um, areas, like for example production, um, where um, like like the setup is more like how to how to uh, produce as efficient as possible, even in those fields, I believe 
um, like a, a people-centric mindset will be considered and um, uh, people who drive those businesses will realize uh, how important it is to, to um, uh, design their, um, their working practice according to people's needs. Thank you, Matthias. I want to thank the three of you. It's been a real pleasure speaking with you, getting to know the three of you, hearing your ideas, uh, trying to convey them on Twitter. Go to hashtag SAP Radio and see what I did. And shout out also to Jennifer Ford. She goes under J-E-N-N-I-F-O-R-D-S-A-P, who's been capturing some of these what I call wows, words of wisdom. So I only have one more thing to say. I want to thank our engineer, Kevin Gaspin, at the World Talk Radio Business Channel, of course. Uh, here's my call to action. You all know it, but I'm going to make it a little special today. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Be innovative. Be cultural. Be thoughtful. Be flexible. Be agile. Get your brain off of a standard shift and go into the wow level and be like Dancy Wald, like Mark Leung and like Matthias Langholz. Go out and be a game changer today. That's not a request. That's an order. Bonnie D. Graham signing off. I'll be back live at 2 p.m. Eastern with another live episode of Changing the Game with HR. You don't want to miss that one. Talk soon. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Designing the Future with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again Thursdays on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.